So a lot of the time it goes fight, avoid. I see that all the time. And and I love this part of the training journey with, with a client. Like it's usually in the beginning where it, it can be like introducing the slippery we see fight or flight and I'll talk them through it. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Honest to Dog Podcast. It's me, Liz Foley, your favorite dog trainer. And Jeff Gadway, your favorite co-host. Hello, Jeff Gadway. You introduced yourself different today. I did? What did I do? Oh, no, you do say your favorite dog trainer. Yeah. Because that's what you are. I was like, <laughs> I've said that. That's what you've said for 130 episodes. <laughs> for some reason, it sounded so different today. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. Oh my gosh, we missed one week and you're very rusty. I really am. Like I didn't even know where to put the... You confused me. Plug in the cables into the recorder here. I was here. like, what did I say? <laughs> okay. All is well in the universe. <laughs> I thought I was having like a Berenstein, Berenstein bear <laughs> moment. And if you're not familiar with that controversy and you grew up in the 80s and 90s, go look into it. Is it Berenstein bears or it Berenstein is. bears? No, it's Berenstein. I was, I, I literally had like all of the books and very, very vividly in my memory, it's Berenstein. I don't know. But apparently I'm wrong. Apparently. What is that? The Mandela effect? Yeah. I I'm not so. sure. It's a parallel universe. It's ridiculous. <laughs> We're all very confused. Well, here in this universe, yeah. we are excited about today's episode because it's one that's so fundamental to mm-hmm. your philosophy on dog training and dog psychology and how you interact with clients and how you assess dogs. Mm-hmm. It's the four instinctual responses. Yeah. And I know we've talked about these different responses in their pieces, just in conversation during other episodes, like it's, mm-hmm. it's inevitably come up. But today we want to talk about the construct, the concept, and help you distinguish between these different things and Figure out how to put them into use in your own dog world. Yeah. So Liz, what are the Mm -hmm. four instinctual responses? Theoretically, more conceptually as a whole, and then we can talk about them individually. Mm -hmm. Instinctual responses are innate in all animals. So humans have them, dogs have them, and it's an instinctive reaction or response to something, and it's based on survival. So it's what they're predisposed to do mm-hmm. at a subconscious level when presented with particular stimulus or mm-hmm. circumstance yeah. that they don't even think about it. That's why it's instinctual. It's yeah. not a a chosen response. Exactly. It just happens. It's one of these, what is it, what's the expression? Autonomic systems like breathing mm. or your heart beating. You don't have to think about breathing. You don't have to think about your heart breathing. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the same. So when we talk about instinctual responses, it's not, you know, what does your dog choose to do in these particular instances, but what are they wired or programmed to do? Mm-hmm. And humans have them too, right? So instinctual responses, there are four of them, fight, flight, avoid, or surrender. And under what types of circumstances are these instinctual or pre-programmed responses most likely to present themselves? Is it just general everyday situations or is it, let's say, when there's extraordinary stress or pressure that are applied and that's when those responses are going to really come to light? It doesn't have to be anything extreme. Um, You can see it when, I see it a lot actually with dogs when introducing something new. You see them 
have this response, right? And so for some dogs, that might be the first time they see or hear the vacuum, right? That's part of our everyday life. We wouldn't think that's an extreme stressed, like stimulant. Um, but if you have a super sensitive dog, it might put them in fight or flight. Um, a car that drives by really fast, um, so meeting someone new. Um, there's a bunch of things. So, I mean, we don't want our dogs living in fight or flight, but there definitely are some dogs that experience it daily. We're going to talk about the four instinctual responses in detail here in a second. But when people are hearing these four different instinctual responses, mm -hmm. should they be thinking about them as being pr like programmed into their dog specifically innately? Like it's, it's this particular dog is going to respond in this particular way, or is it all dogs are going to respond mm -hmm. in this particular way to this kind of stimulus? Are they universal or are mm -hmm. they specific to the dog and the personality in question. Mm -hmm. So all dogs can have any four of those reactions, um, but it is going to be specific to the dog, right? And that's why I said their sensitivity level is usually an indication. Um, it's usually temperament and confidence related, whether it's fight or flight. Um, but you can tell this in in puppies from a young age, and they do that, a lot of breeders, as a way of testing the dog's uh, sociability and just overall behavior and temperament to be able to then place it appropriately with a family who's going to match that. Um, and so I find it it can correlate very much with pack position. Interesting. Why is a strong command of these instinctual responses important to either a dog trainer or your average everyday dog owner, what insight does this give you that helps you in building your relationship or accomplishing training goals? That's a really good question. Um, I think because for me, the way that I explain it and understand it, once you know the instinctual responses or reactions that dogs can have and what it tells you about them and how you're going to train them you can predict the dog a little better. Um, and so it's a really good insight. Um, so you don't, so you want to be aware of it. Also, when a lot of people see their dogs go through fight, flight, or avoid, a lot of people give up. A lot of people will be put off by seeing that struggle. Um, and whenever we stop something, the way the dog was responding in that moment is how they're going to create that association. And then we keep them stuck. So when I see fight or flight and avoid, I'm like, okay, I can be patient and I can work you through this and help you to get and reach to surrender so that this is a positive association so that this doesn't hold you back in your everyday life. That like now when you see a vacuum, you don't run into another room. Um, so, a lot of the time people see especially fight or flight and they go, oh, he doesn't like it. And this, they stop. And I'm like, this is such an opportunity to teach a different response to getting the dog being more comfortable and like bonus points for you building trust with that dog to be able to see them through to surrender. Ooh, you just gave me a really interesting thought in my mind that while the instinctual response 
might not be controllable because it's innate and it's instinctual, it's really only an instantaneous instinctual response. And what I mean by Mm -hmm. that is it's what they do first, but it's what you do next as either the trainer or the owner to move them through to a more suitable response. So it's not like it's a fixed response. Yeah, no. It's just an initial reaction. Yeah, because it's motivated by energy and energy changes moment to moment. Are you ready to dive into this? Yeah, let's get into them. Let's get into them. So you've kind of already alluded to there being four instinctual responses. Yes. What are they, please? Fight, flight, avoid, surrender. So I think what would be interesting, Liz, is if for each of the responses, we could talk about certain things like, what does it look like? What might be some triggers mm-hmm. that that you've seen in dogs you've worked with that cause these different responses? And what you do as a trainer to try to help move dogs through the different responses. So let's start at the top with fight. What does that actually mean? Because I think as humans, we think of fight as something very Round specific. one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately go to moral combat. I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, so like, what, what does fight look like in terms of a canine instinctual response? Yeah, uh, I always refer to it as anything moving forward. It's moving forward instead of moving away. So yes, aggression falls under that, but it starts earlier than that. And so we can't just think of fight as aggression. Fight or aggression is associated with fight, yes, but excitement is associated with fight. Excitement moves forward. And that's why I really emphasize that excitement can be dangerous in our dogs. And if our dogs live in an excited world constantly or an excited state, they're always moving forward. And a lot of the time it accelerates, it gets more and more intense. So kind of like the first fight or forward instinctual response is excitement, right? So excitement in in lower levels isn't dangerous, but the more heightened a dog gets, it can turn into something more extreme. So it goes, fight would be excited, hyper, obsessive, aggressive. And it's like a, it's like a scale, right? It builds. And so when a lot of dogs are showing reactivity on leash, where does it start? The dog, well, the dog is moving forward in a situation like that. And it's usually excitement driven, frustration, all of that builds, right? And so, I mean, but your dog jumping up on you when you get home, that's forward. Right. Right. That we wouldn't associate that as fight, but it is. Your dog biting the leash is fight. Let me ask you this. When you describe fight as forward, and maybe mm-hmm. that's in some respects a better label for it, mm-hmm. because like you said, it's it's about an energy state moving towards a stimulus, essentially. Mm-hmm. Is fight always associated with confidence? Because I would think in order to move towards a stimulus, Mm -hmm. you'd have to have some degree of kind of confidence or an air of confidence to do so. But do you ever see dogs that choose fight even if they're like nervous, Mm -hmm. nervous, anxious? Mm -hmm. So 
It's circumstantial, I would say. Yes, confidence absolutely plays a part in it. More confident dogs will move forward. More more likely to choose fight than flight. But if in that situation the other options aren't available, you can't run away because you're cornered, a dog will default to something else. Also, it's about the association. What was their history like with this thing that they're encountering now? And how do they get through it? Because if it was fight last time and it's they succeeded, they're going to do it again. Uh-huh. Right? So it's it really, I hate answers like this, but it depends. It depends right. on the dog and the situation and the history. Yeah, the, the conditioning and the imprinting. Because yeah. I think something you said a little earlier, which I hope people didn't miss, is when your dog is in a situation, and tell me if I'm interpreting this right. If you're When your dog is in a situation whatever instinctual response they leave the situation Mm -hmm. at, that's the imprint that's created. Mm -hmm. That in the future, this particular thing gets coupled with fight or flight. Yes, exactly. Exactly that. Okay. So when you think about fight, is it always, I'm trying trying not to apply judgment as Mm. as good or bad. Like, Mm How do you think about that, Liz? Like, is is fight a bad thing? Is it a good thing? Like, or is it just a thing? It's just a piece of information. Yeah, for me, it's just probably that. I don't really put a lot of judgment onto it, to be truthful, because the dog isn't choosing it. Um, it's just a reaction. And yeah, for me, it's, it's understanding the dog better. It gives me insight. Um, and I mean, fight works for certain things like working dogs you want them to move forward like especially a police dog right like that's what it is trained to do um even though playing fetch with your dog you you want the dog to go and chase the ball so we are going to create some excitement to move the dog forward like you can you can work with it um it's not always working against you i guess is my point yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense when you're approaching a dog that has a instinctual fight response. Mm-hmm. What are maybe one or two of the strategies or tactics that you use to hmm. mitigate or address that behavior in that instance? Mm-hmm. Well, if you have a dog whose instinct is to move forward, the very first thing is how do we get that dog to stop moving forward? Right. So sometimes tools come in handy. So if you have your dog on the leash, how do you get them to stop what they're doing to prevent moving forward? Can you use your body? If it's a dog coming towards you, can you use a prop like a stick or something to create space? To So a lot of the time it's block. You block fight. Um, and you, you want to be really careful with how you do it because you don't want to make it worse but you do need to stop it so it it's it can be uncomfortable for a lot of people which i'm like catch it early catch the excitement before it turns into anything more extreme because that's when it's going to be easier to manage that gets me thinking about some of my recent interactions with blue and i feel like i'm doing a much better job of anticipating 
those triggers that would generally send him into fight, mm-hmm. right? When his ear, ears go forward, Dorito chip ears, mm-hmm. and you know the scorpion tail comes up, and he you know gets really fixated. I'm seeing those triggers sooner, and I'm able to intervene mm-hmm. earlier and block the fight. Mm-hmm. Right, block the fight, and and maybe, and we'll get into the the next instinctual instinctual reactions in a second. But maybe he doesn't always go right to surrender, but going into avoid mm-hmm. in those instances maybe isn't the worst thing in the world it's for not. him because it's better than fight. Yeah, and it's a stepping stone to getting where you want. Right, so a lot of the time it goes fight avoid. I see that all the time. And and I love this part of the training journey with, with a client. Like it's usually in the beginning where it, it can be like introducing the slip lead. We see fight or flight um, and I'll talk them through it. And for me, it's like, I guess like firefighters or people in certain like extreme jobs like that, they see people in fight or flight. And what do they do? They stay calm. They stay calm through it because they've been through it. They know how to get to a calmer state. So I'll I'll be like, oh, we're seeing fight here. And then when the dog kind of disengages and stops but isn't connected at all to me or the human, there's avoidance. Most people would stop here and accept it. We're going to keep going. You might see fight pop back up, avoid fight, avoid, 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 surrender, mm. right? So it's, it's a cycle. Yeah. It's cyclical. And, it, and just because you got through one level doesn't mean it's going to not come back. And it's not necessarily linear Mm-mm. in that it's going to be, okay, dog's going to go from fight to flight to avoid to surrender. As you just pointed out in that example, it's going to oscillate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else on fight that we need to cover, Liz? I think it's important to point out that it's not bad. It's information. It's how you handle it. Um, and first and foremost, it's becoming aware of it. When does your dog show and have a forward association, right? When do they exhibit high excitement? How do you bring them down from that? Um, but it's not it's not horrible if you experience that with your dog, it's how you move through it, right? And so it's not the end of the world if it comes up. A lot of the time you need a professional there to tell you those things, right? Because sometimes we intentionally create fight or flight. Sometimes it's unintentional. And either way, it's information we're getting from the dog, right? And so if someone is using way too much pressure on the slip lead, they might be causing fight, right? And so I'll give that feedback. Ooh, he just told you that was too much. I could see it was too much too. So next time use like half the amount of pressure, right? And then so I could even do a demonstration and the dog surrenders, right? Because I'm using that information to make better choices to help influence the dog. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. And the the other thing that that just triggered for me, and then I want to make sure we move on so we have time for the other responses yeah is that it's not like it's conditioned to a specific thing necessarily Mm -mm. because what i heard you say was a dog might respond to a particular stimulus 
in one way with you mm-hmm. and a different way Absolutely. to that same stimulus with somebody else. Yeah. And so it's not like, oh, the instinctual response is triggered by people carrying sticks. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more. It's not that transactional. There's more that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And like, just to further this point, in group class, I will have people work their dog through something to trigger a little bit of fight or flight so that they can work their dog down through that get to surrender. So then it becomes less scary. It's less scary once you've done it a few times and you know how to interpret the feedback and make adjustments as needed. And so like it could be going in the pool. It could be going up a flight of stairs. Like that's a lot in puppies. You see fight or flight there Mm -hmm. Um, or avoid, (laughs) but don't shy away from those things, right? That's how you learn. Yeah, it's leaning into it and then, yeah. It's like in in Young Drivers. Here in Canada, we have this this driving school called Young Drivers of Canada and it's supposed to be pretty good. And they have you do things to learn Mm -hmm. how to contain remain in control of your car, like driving with two tires off the road on gravel at the side of the road and doing an emergency stop and putting yourself into this situation where, you know, your tires are losing traction and you feel like you're losing control. Well, the only way you're going to be comfortable enough to do that in a Mm -hmm. real life situation is if you've practiced Mm -hmm. working through it and getting back onto the road. And it's the same thing with your dog. Understanding the instinctual response is a good first step, but you really have to have training and time invested in how to work dogs through the different responses in mm-hmm. order to be effective when you encounter it in the real world. And that's why seeing fight or flight or avoid doesn't scare me, right? And I can stay really calm through it because I know I've, I've been there. I've seen it. Yeah. You with know what treadmill. happens on the other side. Yeah. yeah. With, with so many things, with meeting dogs, with just you name it, I've probably helped a dog through it. <laughs> But can we just do a real quick side note about young drivers? Yes. Um, I remember in my like training practice, I had to do like a slam on the brake practice, mm-hmm. right? And I was really uncomfortable with that because I was afraid. I thought if you slammed on the brake really hard, the airbags popped. And oh. that's not how cars work. No. <laughs> and so I told him that. I was like, but aren't the airbags going to go out? And he was like, no, you have to hit like here or here on the car for it. And I was like, oh, anyway. Well, that's probably why you're such a careful driver today. <laughs> you think those airbags are just going to jump out at any red light? Oh, my gosh. I'd probably be terrified if that ever happened. It's like in neighbors. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So <sighs> after fight... Where do we go next? I mean, we talked a little bit about avoidance, but maybe if fight is forward, mm-hmm. flight Yeah, let's is do that. Away. Away. Move away, retreat. Um, so just like <clears throat> there are certain energies associated with fight, there are certain energies associated with flight. And you you hit it really on the nail when you were asking about how confidence relates to it because a lot of a lot more insecure dogs will choose flight um and so it's timid dogs it's nervous dogs it's anxious dogs and it's fearful so those are all the four energy states associated with when a dog moves away from something 
we want to encourage moving forward, right? So this is when we're going to play a little bit with fight or flight. We have sensitive dogs. I, we've seen flight, right? Like Baker hearing a large truck coming down the street and he would he used to pull away and tail tuck and all of that. He wanted to run. If we weren't holding a leash, he probably would, right? Ty's a fearful dog at times. We've seen that. Like all our dogs would run away more, more so than fight. Let me ask you this. You said something that triggered another thought or another question. When you're looking at the energy state and the instinctual response as a dog trainer, are you looking at it going, okay, well, the dog moved away, so they're probably in a timid, nervous, insert energy state, mm-hmm. energy, or are you assessing and evaluating the dog and going, I think this dog is timid or nervous or anxious, and so I'm anticipating that they're- Both. It goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a part of my my group class training where we look at state of mind and being able to predict what the dog would do next, right? Because then if we're thinking this way, we can start making better choices. We can either steer clear of promoting fight or flight or do a little bit on purpose so that we can work the dog through it. Um, but yeah, like, so... Like I have a photo, we use photos and videos because we're doing it virtually. And it's like, what, what would you do with this dog? Would you do this? Would you do that? Um, so it's just really cool because, and that's, that's when I say like, it takes away so much fear of working with dogs. It doesn't mean it's like super easy. I'm not saying that there's still a lot of awareness that goes into it. Um, but if dogs become a little more predictable to us, the fear of the unknown goes away. Yes. Right? So I show up and I'm like, we're going to introduce the slip lead. We might see fight or flight. Here's what I'm going to do. And I'm patient. I'm patient about it. There is no rush because you can't rush if you're dealing, especially with a flighty dog. You just can't. Are there similar steps of flight just as you described with Mm-hmm. fight mm-hmm. you said you know with fight it might start with excitement and end in aggression mm-hmm. are there similar milestones on the flight path yeah a lot of- flight path <laughs> i see what you did there um like timid is a more low level nervous right nervous is not as extreme as anxious anxious isn't as extreme as fearful Right. And so, yeah, there's a progression there. So you could have a dog that's in flight that just maybe withdraws a little bit Mm -hmm. and is a little bit unsure about something Mm -hmm. all the way up to a dog that is going to run and hide in the other room and bury its head in the sand. Exactly. All of those are examples of flight. Yes. And so let's say there's a dog in flight either it's you know come from fight and you've kind of managed it down into to flight or the instinctual response is flight Mm -hmm. what are some of the types of things that you would work on with that dog to help it overcome the withdrawal and and move on a path towards avoidance or surrender Mm mm-hmm 
So, I mean, one of my methods for working with a dog with that is how do we create curiosity so that the dog chooses to move forward? Oh. Right? And so when I'm dealing more so with retreat, I will try on, and it will only work if a dog is more timid or nervous, less so if they're anxious or fearful, especially. Um, food. How do we use engage the nose and get the dog to move forward, build a little bit of trust, and at the very least feel neutral about this, this stimulus? Um, but I've seen you use other dogs yeah, too yeah, yeah. in that instance to, to create a sense of safety or spark that curiosity with the dog that you're working. It's like, hey, if Baker thinks it's okay. Yeah, exactly. You see another dog move forward and through it. It's not so scary. Yeah, I love that with puppies. I do that with puppies a lot with the stairs. Yeah, I remember being at a consult with you, a dog that was terrified of coming down the stairs mm -hmm. and it just froze. It went into freeze, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or withdrawal. And I think we had Baker with us and had Baker do the stairs a few times in front of this dog. And that helped to kind of open the dog up to the possibility seeing another dog go through it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Very interesting. We don't want our dogs stuck in 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 flight. That's a very small world that they're going to live in, right? Yeah. And so we really want to help dogs through that. And what I see a lot of the time, a lot of people get scared when they see fight. A lot of people feel badly for the dog when they see flight. And so what do they do? Instead of helping the dog move through it, they rescue the dog. And they nurture that behavior. Yeah. And yeah. so that's where we see a lot of dogs becoming completely, like it's learned helplessness, right? Where they're just like, no. And like, you just, I've seen it with dogs on slippery floors, right? And Sam with the Swiffer, like so many things where the only way out is through. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I say working your dog through fight or flight establishes trust because you're the firefighter then, right? No big deal. Nobody died. We'll get through it. And then making them feel, so a lot of the time with with forward dogs, I want them to be neutral about something. A lot of the time with retreat dogs, I want them to be happy-go-lucky about it, right? So I'm encouraging you to be a little bit forward. And the other one, I'm like, absolutely not, halt. <laughs> you must stop first. <laughs> yes, yes, that makes a lot of sense. So one is two, I guess one is way more block. The other is redirection a lot of the time. Interesting. So like, it's all so interwoven. And for me, it's like, duh. And I, I love sharing it with people because I can see their eyes open up into like understanding a new level of dog. Um, I find it all just so, so fascinating. God, I love what I do. I can see you lighting up like a Christmas tree. I'm using my hands a lot again. <laughs> so after flight mm -hmm. is avoidance. And mm -hmm. this is one I'm really curious about because fight and flight seem so clear cut in terms of moving forward, moving away. Avoidance feels a little more undefined to me. Mm -hmm. And I get the sense that maybe avoidance could 
sometimes be misinterpreted as flight. Oh. I don't know. Avoidance. Hmm, yeah, is neither moving towards nor away. So a lot of the time it's a freeze response. Okay. It's a dog who's who's really sunken into where they're they are. They're not moving forward. They might completely lie down. They disengage. Um, so it's something else is really fascinating. And a lot of the time it's like something that's not. Like so with Carmen and doing calmness around food she looked at she was like next to a wall or the cabinet and she just look at that and study it and i'm like you're not no that's been there this whole time like you're not fascinated by that you're avoiding looking at me and the food and i mean dogs aren't rational beings we can't ask carmen why Mm -hmm. she didn't want to look at the food or whatever but from your experience why are they choosing to avoid versus one of the other responses? Like what's keeping them stuck there that it's easier for them to study a wall than it is to engage with the stimulus? Again, like there is not really a rational answer or response because it's just the reaction. It's instinctual. It's in them. And so, I mean that is a rabbit's go-to response. Rabbits freeze. Like you'll be like, there's a dog right there and this bunny is just immobile, right? It's your your body's way of reacting to to protect, right? And so sometimes it's just maybe the dog is paralyzed, right? With with Fear, so that would be more a shut down. But then there are times where dogs disengage and choose avoid because they're bored. They're bored. They're not interested in what we're doing. Um, it's it's a way of putting their foot down, right? <laughs> so, protesting. Again, yeah, and and so um, another example with Carmen was walking on leash. She walked great off leash. <laughs> Second, you put a leash on her when we first got her, she sunk down into the ground. And so it's working them through that. It's being patient. It's applying maybe a bit of pressure, but not too much. Um, and guidance. It can also be redirection. Sometimes food will work. Um, but so many people give up when they see avoidance. And why... Is it not enough to stop at avoidance? Because to me, and I'm playing, I'm playing just the, you know, the other side of the coin here, compared to fight or flight, avoidance might seem pretty good. Mm-hmm. Nobody's getting hurt. It's not gonna be loud. It's not fear-driven. So, like, why should we not accept? avoidance is good enough because it's not a neutral response it's still probably re- related to some level of stress right and so a lot of people will accept it as good enough a lot of people get frustrated when they see avoidance um so they're just they leave it um cuz a lot of the time people see it as a dog being stubborn mm. right and they would rather not struggle with that just oh it's who he is right it's his personality so stubborn 
well, is he or just have we always left it at this association? So he's learned Free's works. Right. That's all. That's all that they're doing. They're forming associations and, and figuring out what works. Dogs only do what work. So if barking and carrying on gets them affection, they're going to do that. If avoidance means people give up and they get what they want, they're going to do that. I've heard you describe it sometimes to folks as your dog giving you the middle finger. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, just so we can get a chuckle more yeah. than anything. Um, but you wouldn't allow that from your child, right? So we're not going to allow it from our dog. And I think the point you made around it's still being rooted in stress makes a ton of sense that avoidance is still not balanced. Yes. Thank you. Those are the words. Yeah. But it's the same idea. Same yeah. idea. Yeah. Okay, great. And so just like we talked about with flight, when you said, you know, what you're trying to do there is encourage some curiosity yep. to get the dog to become a little more happy-go-lucky. What's your goal when working with a dog that's in avoidance? Neutral or happy-go-lucky, I would be happy with either. Um, again, it just depends on what what the objective is, really. But yeah, so if we want, we can segue into come surrender. Okay. Um, or I should just say the surrender category, fight, flight, avoid, surrender. And surrender is neutral, right? And so it is calm, submissive. It is happy-go-lucky. And it also is dominance. Those are the three energy states that fall under surrender. Interesting. So I like the fact that in recent episodes, we've been trying to unpack language. Language is so important. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are some folks who have misconceptions around the idea of surrender mm -hmm. as being submissive or being... Like you're giving weak. up weak. or weak. Yeah. How do you think about surrender as a response and as a like the emotion tied to it or the feeling tied to it? Yeah, that's a great question. And what comes to mind is actually something Caesar Milan said. And he, he asked, I believe it was me and my staff, what is the strongest energy? And everyone thought dominance, right? What's he going to say? Dominance. He said, no. Calm surrender. That's the strongest energy. That is, it takes so much to completely relax, right? It's not giving in. It's not giving up. It's just accepting. It's accepting what is. We're not trying to change anything. We're just completely okay with whatever. That's really beautiful. And yeah, it, it, it makes me think, you need to be self-assured. You need to be comfortable in your own skin, have a certain degree of being okay with the unknown, letting mm -hmm, go. Mm -hmm. Letting go. Yeah. That's it. It's not giving up. It's not giving in. It's letting go. It's releasing. It's out of your control anyway. Just relax. So what does a dog that has achieved calm surrender look like? soft eyes, checked in, willing to take direction, a follower, um, 
relaxed body language. There's no tension in the body. They're not moving around a ton. So a lot of the time, like in my eyes, I picture a dog lying on its side, like on its hip, right? Just just watching the world, not heavily panting, not wide-eyed, not Dorito chip ears, <laughs> right? There's a softness to the face, to the body. Oh, that's beautiful. I immediately think of Carmen. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. Um, so we've talked about working through. Mm-hmm. Is it always going to be the same stops on the journey? Like if you're starting at fight, mm-hmm. is a dog likely always going to move through All the four. others before achieving surrender? Or could they go right from fight to surrender or would, you know what I mean? Yeah. There is no order. Um, It's not linear. It's not 100% predictable, Um, but it's, it's usually fight, avoid, surrender to some extent Mm -hmm. or retreat. Well, I can't even say that because I'm like, oh no, there are dogs who do, I was going to say retreat, avoid, surrender, but no, that's not true because sometimes like I mentioned earlier, a dog who's more in flight, if that didn't work and they're they're truly kind of really stressed out, they're going to choose fight. They're going to fight like hell. Um, and so that's where really like the term fear aggression came from. And a lot of trainers will be like, fear aggression doesn't exist because the dog moves from one to the other, right? So the dog, a dog is fearful, they will run away. But if run away isn't an option, they will choose fight. So if you're looking at dogs on leash you're looking at dogs who are cornered um and your flighty dogs will choose fight if they're cornered or restrained in any way so like on a leash so they're just doing what will probably give them space from whatever else is stressing them out so if i can't create space by running away i'm gonna do everything to block it and keep it from getting closer that's really interesting it makes me think about our dogs and even take a dog like Baker. Yep. Baker's really well balanced. You know, he's back of the pack, mm-hmm. but generally wouldn't hurt a fly. Nope. But I think it's important to remember, you know, while Baker's instinctual response might often be flight, mm-hmm. if he doesn't have that option available to him and he doesn't have the opportunity to avoid because there's, I don't know, another dog or some kind of stimulus, what's he left with? Yeah. And so this isn't about saying, oh, you know, like my dog could never do this or will always do that. It's mm-hmm. it's recognizing the circumstances and ensuring that you're not taking options off the table for your dog. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, it made me think of Baker too, because remember when we adopted him, we were told that he was pulled from the shelter because he was going to get euthanized because he was bitey. He and his brother were bitey. We're like, Baker? What? And you just think about, okay, yeah, absolutely. Stressed in a shelter, getting probably moved around and touched by people they didn't know. Back of the pack dogs, cornered in a crate, can't can't get away. So high level of stress, they're just going to fight, right? And so I'm just really happy we got them. Me too. Me too. he, He now has people that understand him, right? And we never see flight or fight totally really like it's just baker's solid 
I think the biggest takeaway for me here, Liz, as we start to wrap up is that it's important to process all this information very quickly and mm-hmm. with experience, with training, conditioning, it becomes autonomous itself. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it becomes instinctual in and of itself, but you need to be aware, you know, what is my dog's typical instinctual response in this, in this situation? What options are available to it right now based on maybe what tool I'm using or what environment I'm in Mm -hmm. or the pressure that I have on the dog, either intentionally or unintentionally, and what's its energy state and all of those things kind of working in collaboration in the moment to help you either predict an outcome or take an action. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm doing it justice. No, you are. Absolutely. There's a lot of things to consider in the blink of an eye. A hundred percent. And so it's not super formulaic. Like in, you know, when doorbell rings, fight. It's not that easy. Yeah. Yeah, you really got to get good at living in the moment. And there's a certain element of the human calm surrendering, right? To be able to assess and then make change, right? And so like you have to accept where you're at with the dog. That takes surrender right? And then we can change it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And so for, for, for trainers, it becomes second nature because you're doing that all of the time. And that's why I say like, I'm going to teach you how to speak dog when I'm with, a, with a client, because like you have to get fluent in, in seeing this stuff, assessing it and yeah, knowing what to do. But so many times we see fight or flight and we're terrified. Right, and we we shut down, or we absorb the same energy and instinctual response that the dog has. Right, you, your dog wants to run away from something. What do we do? We let them. We take them away from it. I'm like, oh yeah, I don't like that either. Right, like, so yeah, we can influence our dogs to make a different choice. I don't want to drag this out, but there was one question that I forgot to ask you that mm-hmm. I think is is maybe an insightful one. When you think about the tools available to a dog trainer or a dog owner, I mean, you talked about using block to de-escalate fight. You talked about encouraging curiosity to promote forward motion in a, in a flighty dog. But is the best tool time? <laughs> yeah, to some extent. You need all of it. And the reason I ask that is it seems like if, if what we're saying is a balanced dog will eventually, with the right guidance and leadership, return to a surrender state, a balanced mm-hmm. state, we kind of just need to wait it out. Mm-hmm. To some extent, yeah. Absolutely. Maybe the block or the interruption or the curiosity gets the ball moving, but, you know, and I'm just, I'm thinking about blue, right? And... With him, it's really about being patient mm-hmm. and waiting for him to reach that calm surrender state on his own. And there's nothing you can do to speed that up. Mm-hmm. Time just has to take its course. And if you don't let time do its job, he'll never get there. Mm-hmm. Patience and consistency, name of the game when it comes to training your dog or being successful at really anything. Liz, thanks for sharing some of your insights around the four instinctual responses. This is really thought-provoking for me. I hope 
It's given our listeners some tools to help them better understand their dogs, better understand themselves Mm -hmm. and set everybody up for success. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I love sharing about this. This It's a good episode. (laughs) Pat on the back for us. (laughs) As always, thanks so much for listening. And until next time, stay calm and confident. Bye. Have a great week. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment or a review. We'd love to hear from you. We release a new podcast weekly. Follow us on Instagram at Honest to Dog Podcast. Honest to Dog Podcast is hosted by Liz Foley and Jeff Gadway. The show is engineered, edited, and produced by me, Timothy Musa. 